0: Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 37, Jeremiah chapter 37, we're going to cover chapter 37 and 38 tonight, you know chapter 11 is uh, short and it, uh, it goes along with chapter 38 and it's all about Jeremiah's imprisonment, Jeremiah's imprisonment, now King Zedekiah's way of handling tough problems in Judah when the enemy was at the gates was to run away. And a lot of times, I think we do the same thing. When we're handling tough problems, you know, we want to run away. Next to Pontius Pilate, no ruler in the Bible was so indecisive and wavering as King Zedekiah. And chapters 37 and 38 tell us that King Zedekiah talked with Jeremiah several times. And yet, Zedekiah still rejected the word That Jeremiah gave him. And now we're going to hear the the, the pathetic words of King Zedekiah as we begin chapter 37 in verses 1 through 10. And now it says, now King Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, reigned instead of Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, made king in the land of Judah. But neither he nor his servants, nor the people of the land, gave heed to the words of the Lord, notice which he spoke by the prophet Jeremiah. And Zedekiah the king sent Jehuchal, the son of Shelemiah and Zephaniah, the son of Maaseiah, the priest, to the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Pray now to the Lord our God for us. Now Jeremiah was coming and going among the people, for they had not yet put him in prison. prison. Then Pharaoh's army came up from Egypt, and when the Chaldeans, or the Babylonians, who were besieging Jerusalem, heard news of them, they departed from Jerusalem. Then the word of the Lord came to the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Thus you shall say to the king of Judah, who sent you to me, to inquire of me. Behold, Pharaoh's army, which has come up to help you, will return to Egypt to their own land. And the Chaldeans shall come back and fight against this city and take it and burn it with fire. Thus says the Lord, do not deceive yourselves, saying the Chaldeans or the Babylonians will surely depart from us, for they will not depart. For though you had defeated the whole army of the Chaldeans who fight against you and there remained only wounded men among them, they would rise up and every man in his tent and burn the city with fire. So King Zedekiah wouldn't go and talk to Jeremiah personally because he was afraid that he might lose the support of his his leaders because they saw him talking with Jeremiah and they did not like Jeremiah. So King Zedekiah sends Jehuchal and Jephaniah to ask Jeremiah to pray for the king and the nation. Jehuchal wasn't Jeremiah's friend. And he eventually persuaded King Zedekiah to have Jeremiah killed, as we'll see in chapter 38. Earlier, God had told Jeremiah, don't pray for these people. But when the Babylonian army took off to deal with the Egyptians, it seemed like prayer wasn't needed. And most likely, the false prophets told everyone about this event, and that this event was a miracle, like the slain of the Assyrian army in Hedekiah's day in Isaiah chapter 36 and 37. Once again, they were living on false hopes, even though Jeremiah told them that King Nebuchadnezzar would return and he would finish the work that God gave him to do. Now, in verses 11 through 21, now again, uh, uh, King Zedekiah, he wants to know, you know, he sent these two men to uh, Zephaniah and, and Jeukal to talk to to Jeremiah, to pray for them, to pray for King Zedekiah and the people. Now Zedekiah wants to know if there's been an answer. He says, notice in verses 11 through 21 now. He says, and it happened when the army of the Chaldeans left the siege of Jerusalem for fear of Pharaoh's army, that Jeremiah went out of Jerusalem to go into the land of Benjamin to claim his property there among the people. And when he was in the gate of Benjamin, a captain of the guard was there, whose name was Arijah, the son of Shelemiah, the son of Hananiah. And he seized Jeremiah the prophet, saying, You are defecting to the Chaldeans. Then Jeremiah said, False, I am not defecting to the Chaldeans. But he did not listen to him. So Arijah seized Jeremiah and brought him to the princes. Therefore, the princes were angry with Jeremiah, and they struck him. And they put him in prison in the house of Jonathan the scribe, because they had made that for they had made that prison. Uh, They had made that the prison. When Jeremiah entered the dungeon and the cells, and Jeremiah had remained there many days, then King Zedekiah sent and took him out. The king asked him secretly in his house and said, "Is there any word from the Lord?" And Jeremiah said, "There is." Then he said, "You shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon." Moreover, Jeremiah said to King Zedekiah, "What offense have I committed against you, against your servants, or against this people that you have put me in prison? Where now are your prophets who prophesied to you, saying the king of Babylon will not come against you or against this land? Therefore, please hear now, O Lord, my O, o my Lord, the King." Please let my petition be accepted before you and do not make me return to the house of Jonathan the scribe, lest I die there. Then Zedekiah, the king, commanded that they should commit Jeremiah to the court of the prison and that they should give him daily a piece of bread from the baker's street until all the bread in the city was gone. Thus, Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison." So King Zedekiah, as I said earlier, he was a weak and pretty useless king of Judah. He didn't know what was going on, spiritually speaking, because he was out of touch with God. And it's hard to know spiritual things when you're out of touch with God. And King Zedekiah didn't have any wisdom to rule. And he allowed Jeremiah to be put in prison. But when troubles start to pile up, Because of the Babylonian invasion, King Zedekiah takes Jeremiah out of prison and then asks him, Jeremiah, is there a word from the Lord about these troubles? You know, it's strange how people who don't want anything to do with you because you're a Christian and because you read the Bible and believe the Bible, they don't want anything to do with you or the Lord. They will come to you first when they're in trouble we see this example in numbers chapter 12 remember when Aaron and Miriam spoke out against Moses's leadership they were complaining about Moses hey Moses you know God speaks to us too you know you're not the only one that God speaks to and that's right God speaks to everybody but but God chose Moses to be the leader of the people but they were jealous they wanted to they wanted to have this role as well but the lord heard them the lord hears everything that we say so when the lord heard this he immediately called moses aaron and miriam and said i want you to come to the tabernacle and there at the tabernacle the lord rebuked aaron and miriam for coming against his servants And as a result, Miriam was struck with leprosy. Now, you might say, well, why just Miriam? Because it was Miriam and Aaron. Well, Miriam was the spokesperson. And so God, you know, dealt with her. But when Aaron saw what had happened to her, he cried out to Moses, the very one that they were complaining about. And they said, he said, oh, my master. Now Moses is his master. A minute ago, he said, hey, God, you know, this, you know, I I, I hear from God too, Moses. You know, me and Miriam, we hear from God just as well as you do. But now it's, oh, my master. He says, please don't punish us for this sin. We have so foolishly committed. You know, earlier, like I said, uh, Miriam and Aaron, they're complaining about Moses. They're, you know, getting down on Moses because, you know, they, they say, hey, we hear from God too. But then when God, you know, pulls him to the carpet and begins to say, hey guys, I chose Moses to be the leader. We talk. I talk to Moses and I lead through Moses. And so when Miriam again received the judgment from God, the leprosy, Aaron said, oh, he's now it's, and now Moses is his master and is worried about the punishment for the sin that he committed so foolishly when king zedekiah asked jeremiah if god had answered his prayer notice he answered right away in verse 17 there is those are important words those small you know little phrases I encourage you to underline them because there's such significant meaning there you know he's zedekiah is asking hey has has the lord answered your prayer and and, and he says there is and then he tells Zedekiah what God said about the Babylonian invasion. And for us today, those two words, when it comes to prayer and answer to prayer, there is... The, those, that word still goes out today from the Lord in life's different situations. You need a word? There is a word about marriage. There is a word from the lord about morals there is a word from the lord about bad behavior good behavior. there is a word about our tongue so you know there is a word and it's all in his word god speaks on on many subjects many topics but up to now and up to now as it says in verse four jeremiah was was going in and going out jeremiah was a free man he was able to move around freely, according to verse 4, but his enemies found reason to put him in prison. During the break in the battle, Jeremiah tried to go home to Anathoth, according to verses 12 and 13, to take care of some family business. But the guard at the gate arrested Jeremiah, believing that he was, de- he was leaving and defecting to the enemy, that he was going to join up with the Babylonians. And and King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, Jeremiah had preached surrender to Babylon. All right. He said, he told him, he said, you need to surrender to Babylon. It's God's judgment. It's according to God's will. And he said, and, and Jeremiah would preach that same message again. But, but Jeremiah definitely was not a traitor. Jeremiah loved his nation. Jeremiah gave his life to try to save it. But his loyalty was to the Lord first. Jeremiah was then beaten, verse 15 says. He was flogged, he was whipped. Jeremiah was then beaten and he was put in prison. And when King Zedekiah heard about it, he saw it as a chance to talk to Jeremiah safely because his his leaders, his officers would think, well, the king's over there discussing uh, what's going on with Jeremiah. He's looking into Jeremiah's case. But after bringing him to the palace, King Zedekiah asked them, like I said in verse 17, is there any word from the Lord? And Jeremiah answered him right away, there is. You are going to be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon. And again, it wasn't the first time that Jeremiah gave him this message. That's all Jeremiah said. Like, a, a reason being, Jeremiah had already told him God's message many times, but only to see the message rejected many times by Zedekiah. So Jeremiah took advantage of the moment to expose the deceptive, hopeful messages that were given to King Zedekiah through the false prophets. If they had been speaking the truth, the king should have asked them for a message from the Lord. But in the meantime, Jeremiah asked Zedekiah to be let out of prison, a request that Zedekiah agreed to. So Jeremiah was placed in the court of the prison according to verses 20 and 21, and that he was given a daily ration of bread as long as the supply of bread lasted. And it was a good thing that King Zedekiah showed enough care and concern to save Jeremiah. But why wasn't he concerned with saving his people? You see, he was afraid to change his plans because he was afraid of his advisors. He was afraid of his leaders. Now, let's move into chapter 38 as he continues on. Now, verses 1 through 6 of chapter 38 cover the demand to punish Jeremiah. Let's look at verses 1 through 30. uh, Sorry, 1 through 3. Now, now Shephatiah, the son of Matan, Gedaliah, the son of Pashur, and Jukal, the son of Shelemiah, and Pashur, the son of Malchiah, heard the words that Jeremiah had spoken to all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord. He who remains in this city shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. But he who goes over to the Chaldeans shall live. His life shall be as a prize to him, and he shall live. Thus says the Lord, this city shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon's Babylon's army, which shall take it. So Jeremiah's message was still getting to the people who were allowed to visit him in prison. And among those who heard this warning or, or Jeremiah's warnings of judgment on Jerusalem were uh, Shephatiah and Gadaliah. Now, there was also in, in uh, chapter 37, verse 3, Jeukal and Peshur who were sent to the priest Zephaniah to see Jeremiah earlier. Now, these four men wanted Jeremiah dead because Jeremiah continued to bring the word of God to the people. He continued with the warning, warning the people that anyone who stayed in Jerusalem, they would die by the sword, or famine, or the plague. But any who would surrender to the Babylonians would be, spared with their, would be spared with their life. So Jeremiah said unmistakably that the city will for sure be handed over to the king of Babylon. Again, it was God's judgment against his people, again, for their sin. Look at verses 4 through 5. Therefore, the princess said to the king, please let this man be put to death, speaking of Jeremiah, for thus he weakens the hands of the men of war who remain in the city and the hands of all the people by speaking such words to them, for this man does not seek the welfare of this people, but their harm. Then Zedekiah, the king said, look, he is in your hand, for the king can do nothing against you. Notice he says, now he's he's in your hand, I can't do anything about this. The princes, the officials, uh, uh, King Zedekiah's leaders, they insisted that Jeremiah should be put to death. But why? It's because Jeremiah's word from God was discouraging the troops who were, there, who were left to defend the city. And Jeremiah's request to surrender were discouraging the soldiers who were going to fight as well as the people's resistance. So from their point of view, Jeremiah wasn't seeking their best interest, but their ruin. Because the false prophets had told him, hey, you're going to be okay. King Zedekiah showed his wavering, weak character, like Pontius Pilate trying to relieve himself of any responsibility for Jeremiah's death by telling you know, his, his leadership, hey, there's nothing I can do about it. He's in your hands. Zedekiah was insisting that he couldn't do anything to stop them you know, from killing uh, Jeremiah, which wasn't true. Because as we'll see further on, uh, he acted uh, on, all on his own and reversed their action. See, Zedekiah was just wavering and and didn't, didn't want to take the responsibility of the leadership. Zedekiah may have wanted to do the right thing, but he didn't have the guts to stand up to Jeremiah's enemies. Verse 6. So they took Jeremiah and they cast him into the dungeon of Malchiah the king's son, which was in the court of the prison, and they let Jeremiah down with ropes. And in the dungeon there was no water but mire. So Jeremiah sank in the mire. They put Jeremiah in the dungeon, or it was a, it was a cistern. A cistern was dug out of limestone rock, and they would be all different depths, and they were used to collect water or, and to store water. They were pear-shaped with a narrow opening at the top so it could be covered. In chapter 37, verse 15, Jeremiah's confinement, remember, he was in the house of Jonathan. Here, he was in a cistern in the courtyard of the guard. They put Jeremiah in this cistern, lowering him down into the cistern by ropes. The water had already evaporated, but there was mud at the bottom of the cistern. And it says that Jeremiah sank into the mud, left there by his enemies to die. There was no reason for putting Jeremiah in the cistern to die, you know, rather than, than just killing him. Maybe they wanted him to suffer, but it was more likely that they had a superstitious fear about killing a prophet or shedding innocent blood. Shedding innocent blood was considered to be one of the most objectionable sins that could be committed. Think about that. Shedding innocent blood was considered to be one of the most objectionable sins that could be committed. Deuteronomy 19.10 and verse 13 is speaking about houses of refuge. And it says there that that way, that is, those who go into the house of refuge, innocent people won't be killed in the land that the Lord your God has given you, and you won't be guilty of murder. And he said, Moses said, purge from Israel the guilt of murdering innocent people then all will go well with you. But the key word is innocent people. And when I think of that, I think of those that are killed before they're born. Innocent people. Abortion. Just, again, carelessly and maybe recklessly, you know, given up just because of, of somebody's sin. And, the, and the, the fruit of the womb, God says, are the ones who pay the price for the person's sin. Verses 7 through 13 cover Jeremiah being rescued from the cistern. Look at verses 7 through 9. Now, Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs who was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah in the dungeon. When the king was sitting at the gate of Benjamin, Ebed-Melech went out of the king's house and spoke to the king, saying... My lord the king, these men have done evil in all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet, whom they have cast into the dungeon, and he is likely to die from hunger in the place where he is, for there is no more bread in the city. So Jeremiah's rescue came from somebody that he least expected, this person called Ebed-Melech. After finding out that Jeremiah was in a cistern, Ebed-Melech immediately went out of the palace and went to the king, who at that time was sitting in the gate of Benjamin on the north side of the city. Ebed-Melech was there to hear complaints. He was there to settle disputes and to see that the people were treated fairly. He was administering justice among the people. Now, Ebed-Melech risked his life, or at least Zedekiah's anger, by going to him, confronting him with the wickedness of what was being done to Jeremiah, and Ebed melech boldly went to Jeremiah went to Zedekiah, like he said, risking his life or, or risking the anger of confronting Zed, uh, King Zedekiah, and he goes to king Zedekiah and Ebed Malek accuses the men king zedekiah's men accuses uh, of being wickedly of what they, uh, of being wicked by what they did to Jeremiah. Ebed-Melech was worried that Jeremiah would starve to death. Verse 10. Then the king commanded Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, saying, Take from, the, take, uh, from here 30 men with you and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the dungeon before he dies. Maybe King Zedekiah's conscience now was, was bothering, it was, he was maybe being touched, or maybe he hoped that if he let Jeremiah out of the cistern, that the Lord would take away the Babylonian invasion, the Babylonian threat. So he ordered Ebed-Melech to take 30 men to lift Jeremiah out of the cistern. Now here Zedekiah seems to be doing this, notice, all on his own. Earlier, remember when the men wanted him to, to, to be killed? He said, oh, you know, he said, I, I have no control over this, man. You know, they're in your hands. Now notice what he's made the decision. Hey, take him out of the prison. Again, he's, it, this is a picture of his weak and, and you know, uh, flip-flopping leadership. So he's doing this all on his own. He didn't ask anybody's permission. Again, earlier chapter, in verse 5, he said he couldn't do anything to change his officials' minds. Just another sign of his wavering character. The king, Zedekiah, had a good reason to expect opposition. So he ordered a lot of the guards to stop any interference from these men, uh, from Jeremiah's enemies, when they would find out that he's being, again, released from, the, from the, the prison. Verses 11 through 13. So Ebed-Melech took the men with him and went into the house of the king under the treasury and took from there old clothes and old rags and let them down by ropes into the dungeon to Jeremiah. Then Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, said to Jeremiah, Please put these old clothes and rags under your armpits, under the ropes. And Jeremiah did so. So they pulled Jeremiah up with ropes and lifted him out of the dungeon, and Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. So Ebed-Melech, he took off in a hurry to carry out the king's orders. He went to a room under the treasury in the palace that was most likely a a wardroom storeroom. And and he got some old rags and he got some worn-out clothes and he lowered him down with ropes into the cistern where Jeremiah was. And so those rags and those clothes were used as padding under his armpits where the where the ropes would be put, you know, to keep from cutting him and injuring him as they lifted him out of the cistern. And then after he was removed, Jeremiah stayed in the courtyard of the guard. Nothing is said, though, about his enemy's reaction about him being released. But now in verses 14 and 6 through 16, they cover another secret interview with Zedekiah. Verses 14 through 16. Then Zedekiah, the king, sent and had Jeremiah the prophet brought to him at the third entrance of the house of the Lord. And the king said to Jeremiah, I will ask you something, but hide nothing from me. Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, if I declare it to you, will you not surely put me to death? And if I give you advice, will you not listen to me? And so Zedekiah, the king, swore secretly to Jeremiah, saying, as the Lord lives, who made our very souls, I will not put you to death, nor will I give you into the hand of these men who seek your life. So like I said, Zedekiah has another secret meeting with Jeremiah, he had Jeremiah brought to the third entrance to the temple. Now, the, other than that, the temple, the, the entrance was otherwise unknown. But it must have been known enough then and, and didn't need any explanation to these guys. It might have been a private royal entrance. But this was Jeremiah's last meeting with King Zedekiah before the city fell to the Babylonians. King Zedekiah said in verse 14, Hey, I, is there, Jeremiah, I'm going to ask you something. But we see that he never did ask the question. He warned Jeremiah, though, don't hide anything from me. By now, Jeremiah didn't trust King Zedekiah, and he had good reasons not to. Because he still remembered the experience in the cistern. He was afraid that the king would kill him if he gave an answer. Also, he told King Zedekiah that he wouldn't listen. You're not going to listen to what I tell you anyway. Anyway. So the king swore to Jeremiah, he said, surely as the Lord lives. And he added, who made our very souls, that is, who has given us breath. He promised to protect Jeremiah, no matter what Jeremiah said to King Zedekiah. He guaranteed Jeremiah, look, I won't kill you. I won't hand you over to those who want to kill you. But in verse 24, when we get there, we'll see, he threatens to break his word. Verses seventeen and eighteen, then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, "Thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, If you surely surrender the king to the king of Babylon princes babylon's princes, then you shall, your soul shall live, and this city shall not be burned with fire, and you and your house shall live. But if you do not surrender to the king of Babylon's princes, then the city shall be given into the hand of the Chaldeans, and they shall burn it with fire, and you shall not escape." From their hands. So Jeremiah, being reassured by the king's word, told Zedekiah, again, that the only way, Zedekiah, that, that you're going to save the city and your own life and your family is to surrender to the Babylonians. The message hadn't changed. God's word doesn't change, no matter what the circumstances. It was a message that Jeremiah had already given Zedekiah. And it's a message that had already caused Jeremiah a lot of personal suffering. But he didn't have any other choice but to say it again. Because this is what he has been called to do. Is to give God's word regardless of the circumstances. Earlier, Jeremiah had complained that when he opened his mouth, that he he said, Lord, when I speak, it's only violence and destruction. No wonder they hate me. And as a result, he experienced only reproach and insult. Jeremiah warned the king that if he didn't surrender to the officers of the king of Babylon, the city would be taken by the Babylonians and they'd burn it to the ground. Also, the king would be captured by the enemy. Zedekiah could have spared the city and its people, even at that late hour that he was talking with Jeremiah, if he would have taken Jeremiah's advice, if he would have done what Jeremiah told him he needed to do. But he was like a lot of political leaders, past and present. The king was willing to sacrifice his people for his own ambitions and his own ego. Verse 19. And Zedekiah the king said to Jeremiah, I am afraid of the Jews who have defected to the Chaldeans, lest they deliver me into their hand and they abuse me. Zedekiah now tried to justify why he wasn't li- uh, willing to listen to Jeremiah's word, to Jeremiah's counsel. He said he was afraid that the Babylonians would hand him over to those Jews who had already defected to the Chaldeans. He's thinking, you know, who knows what they'll do to me? And he had good reason to believe that they would mistreat him. Because you know, Zedekiah must have known that defeated kings were often tortured and mutilated before being put to death. And that's what he feared. And Jeremiah had told him what God said. He instructed Zedekiah, the king of Judah, to go to Babylon to surrender to the Babylonians. But he didn't want to do what Jeremiah told him to do because he was afraid. And you see, if you're afraid of what men will do to you, you won't do well in doing what God wants you to do. Not only that, Zedekiah was especially afraid that he would be ridiculed. He was afraid they would laugh at him. He had a lot of pride and he didn't want to be laughed at. And he was so afraid that somebody would, would ridicule him and make fun of him for obeying God. And you know what? A lot of Christians experience the same thing today. They, 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 they're afraid to share their testimony. They're afraid to, to show and to be a godly example. Why? Because, because they're afraid somebody will, will, will mock them. You know, do you, do you really read the Bible? Do you really believe the Bible? Why? It's so old. And, and, and you hear that same, men wrote the Bible and, and on and on it goes. And, and they, they, they mock you. They make fun of you. And people are, Christians are afraid of being mocked. Well, and so they don't obey God for the very reason that somebody might mock them. So you don't do well living for God if you're afraid of being laughed at. Remember, Jesus experienced a lot of ridicule. A lot of ridicule. Jesus suffered a lot of disrespect. Even on the cross, people mocked him. Oh, come on, have you the Savior? Come on down off of the cross. And they would shake their head at him. But he went through all of the suffering, he went through the ridicule, he went through the disrespect in order to bring us his word and salvation. We can't back away. We can't ruin our testimony for Jesus Christ because we're afraid that somebody might laugh at us. Let them laugh because we know how it turns out in the end. We will have the last laugh. It won't be funny, but you know what I mean. Zedekiah wasn't afraid of disobeying God, but he was afraid of God's judgment. Jeremiah warned him, if you don't surrender to the Babylonians, it will bring judgment. But Zedekiah was afraid of that part of the message. He was afraid of that part that is surrendering to the will of God. He was more afraid of what men might do to him and that they might make fun of him. And not a lot of people fear God anymore. There's no reverence for His house. You know, we, 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 you know it, it, we, people text during service, they receive texts during mercy, they look at their phone. Um, you know, it's, it's like they're in a theater watching a movie. We're not afraid of God's judgment on our sins. Instead, we fear what people think of us. Are you afraid of men? And them laughing at you? Or do you fear the Almighty God? If you're going to fear someone, make sure you fear God and His judgment more than man and what man says. Verses 20 through 23. But Jeremiah said, They shall not deliver you. Please obey the voice of the Lord which I speak to you. So so it shall be well with you and your soul shall live. But if you refuse to surrender, this is the word that the Lord has shown me. Now behold, all the women who are left in the king of Judah's house shall be surrendered to the king of Babylon's princes and those women shall say, Your close friends have uh, have set upon you and prevailed against you. Your feet have sunk in the mire and they have turned away again. So they shall surrender all your wives and children to the Chaldeans. You shall not escape from their hand, but shall be taken by the hand of the king of Babylon, and you shall cause the city to be burned with fire. Jeremiah guaranteed this frightened king, Zedekiah, that they wouldn't hand him over to the enemies. He asked Zedekiah one last time to, to obey the word of God. And if he would obey God by taking Jeremiah's advice, he, Jeremiah said, your life will be spared, Zedekiah. Your people will be spared. Your, fa- your people will be spared. The only option to surrendering would be making fun of his weakness by the women left in the, in the palace, it says here. The, 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 the king's harem when they were brought out by the Babylonian officials. It was a common practice for a conqueror all right, of, a, of another king to claim the harem of the defeated army. And these women would tease the king and remind him that his trusted friends had misled him and overcome him. Even as Jeremiah had been in the mud, the women would remind Zedekiah sarcastically that his feet were sunk in the mud. And their words were based on knowing that Jeremiah had been, uh, uh, had been in the mud. Instead, they were repeating what was probably a well-known saying describing a person. A person in a a difficult situation that he couldn't get himself out of. And Jeremiah found himself in the mud because of his obedience. He found himself in the mud because of his obedience. Zedekiah would find himself in a different kind of mud because of his disobedience. Jeremiah described again the fate of King Zedekiah if he continued to hold to his stubborn position and not surrender. All of his wives, all of his children would be given to the Babylonians. He would be captured, he said, and, and Jeremiah said, This city would be burned with fire. Verses 24 through 26. Then Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, Let no one know of these words, and you shall not die. But if the princes hear that I have talked with you, and they come to you and say to you, Declare us now that you have said what. Uh, Declare to us now what you have said to the king and also what the king said to you. Do not hide it from us and we will not put you to death. Verse 26. Then you shall say to them, I presented my request before the king that he would not make me return to Jonathan's house to die there. Zedekiah's only response to Jeremiah's last bid to surrender the Babylonians was to express his concern for himself. He said, Jeremiah, don't let anybody know what we talked about or you're going to die. Earlier, remember, he said he had promised that you you're not going to die. Now he's breaking that promise here. So either he was forget, already forgetting his promise that Jeremiah wouldn't die or he knew the officials would kill Jeremiah if they found out what the two had talked about. So the only thing that he should tell them is that, hey, that, that, that he asked the king not to send him back to Jonathan's house to die there. Sometimes God judges a sinful nation by sending them weak leaders who are hesitant and wavering and whose leadership or lack of it plunges the nation into deeper trouble. Isaiah chapter 3 verse says, God said, I will give children to be their princes and babes shall rule over them. The late John F. Kennedy put it this way. We the people are the boss. And we get the kind of political leadership, be it good or bad, that we demand and deserve. Think about us now. We're getting what we deserve. What the people wanted, who they wanted, tells us everything we need to know about the nation. We are in crisis. But Judah wasn't a democracy. The people didn't vote on their king. It was God who gave them what they deserved because it's what they wanted. They didn't want God. In closing, think about this. Are we getting, are we going through something that that God says, hey, you know what? This is what the United States deserves right now. The violence, the crime, the senseless murders, just pure evil taking place. When Israel wanted a king like the other nations and no longer wanted a theocracy, God let them have their way. But He warned them in 1 Samuel eight eighteen, He says, And you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. But notice, You will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen. When you choose contrary to the will and the word of God, you can expect it will bring a lot of unpleasant circumstances and experiences. In the context of this verse, the prophet Samuel told the Israelites that you will be sorry for insisting on a king. And this verse speaks of what the people would experience as a result of their wrong choice. In 1 Samuel 8.18, notice it says, First, you will cry out in that day. You'll cry out in that day. Choosing a king would cause a lot of painful problems. And when these problems would come, Samuel said to the people that you would pray fervently to God about their problems. Now, we are encouraged to to pray fervently. But in this case, no. If the people had had been as fervent in doing the will of God as they would be later about their problems for not doing the will of God, they wouldn't have had these great problems. Secondly, in 1 Samuel 8, 18, it says, because of your king whom you have chosen, that's why you're crying out. This is the cause of their troubles <clears throat> and the reason they were praying so fervently. The Israelites insisted on a king that was contrary to God's will. And again, when we choose the leader and his policies are contrary to the will of God, guess what? God's going to give you what you ask for. The Israelites insisted on a king contrary to God's will. When they got what they wanted, then they found out we don't want it anymore because Saul was not a good king and he oppressed and burdened the people. And how often when we insist on our own way instead of God's way, we end up with big problems. We choose jobs out of the will of God. We choose careers. We choose our spouse. You know, we choose outside of the will of God. Many times, These choices eventually bring big problems. After you get what you want, you soon don't want it anymore because the problems that uh, come with your own choice. But seek God's will and you'll eliminate a whole bunch of problems and grief in your life. And then lastly, third thing that we see in, in this, the word from 1 Samuel 8, 18, it says, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. This is divine judgment. You may pray very fervently and sincerely, but God will have a deaf ear to you because you had a deaf ear to God when making the choice. All the prayer promises in the Bible mean nothing when you have turned a deaf ear to God's word and God's way. Jesus said, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. Solomon said, righteousness exalts a nation, but, it's, but sin is a reproach to any people. Proverbs 14, 34. The psalmist said in Psalm 33, 12, blessed or happy, it says, it, oh, how happy, it says. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Father, we thank you again for your word, God. We thank you for being our God. Father, for Lord, you are you're our God. You're our guide. You lead us into truth. You lead us in the way of salvation. You lead us into eternal life, God. And we thank you for that, Lord. Help us to be what you've called us to be, God. Let us not fear man. Let us not fear his, his, his mocking. Father, his ridicule. Let us fear you, God. Let us take a stand, God, for righteousness' sake. The world needs to know and to hear about Jesus Christ and his love for us, his goodness and his grace and his mercy. So, Father, we just thank you again for your love, for your grace and your mercy toward us, God, when we are so undeserving. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.